Hello, it's Joanna Lumley here. And before we start this podcast, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Actors Benevolent Fund, which is here to support actors and stage managers in times of illness, injury, old age, and financial hardship. This industry can be wonderful, but it can also be challenging. And the ABF is here to help by offering grants in times of need and by providing a sense of community. If you're in the position to help support others in our industry, or if you need support yourself, you can find details of how to contact the ABF, as well as ways of keeping up to date with developments via social media, in the show notes of this episode. Meanwhile, why not become a member, which you can do through the ABF website. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to the ABF podcast, where each week we invite special guests to talk to us about challenges they faced in the theatre and TV industry, from dealing with performance anxiety to rejection to coping with ageing and questions around our identity. Sat alongside them each week, we have coaches and therapists to help unpack the subject and offer practical advice. My name is Hannah Whittingham and I will be your host. In today's episode, we're chatting to Julie Hesmond-Halsh and Andrew Jarvis about the experience of aging in the industry. Julie is probably best known for her 16 years playing Hayley Cropper on Coronation Street, for which she won multiple awards. But she also has a significant theatre, film and TV career, including Broadchurch and Happy Valley, as well as being the author of An Actor's Alphabet, an A to Z of some stuff I've learned and some stuff I'm still learning. Andrew Jarvis has been an actor for 55 years, 10 of which were spent with the RSC, five of which were spent with the English Shakespeare Company, and he spent two seasons at the National Theatre. He's also appeared many times in the West End. He's worked continuously in drama schools and spent many years as the head of postgraduate performance courses at Mountview. Welcome to you both. So Julie, I'm going to start with you. Um, First of all, when did you start working as an actor and how many years have you been at it, so to speak? Um, I've been at it for many years. Um, So I went to drama school when I was 18, very young, too young, I think, possibly. And um, on a full local authority grant to go to Lambda. And then I left in 91 when I was 21 and and set up a theatre company in London for the first few years of being a, 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 a postgraduate. Nice. So yeah, so I, I I can't do the maths, but thirty odd. So I suppose that most people will probably know me um, from my very long stint as Haley in Coronation Street for sixteen years, um, a role that I took when I was twenty seven, twenty eight, and left when I was in my early forties. It was a bubble, yeah. and and it was a wonderful time. And a massively long period of my time in which I got married, had children, they grew up and leaving at a time which is traditionally a very precarious time for women actors in particular. And what the industry looked like to me coming out with fresh yeah. eyes, really. And and how wonderful that's been to be an older person, yeah. but with the wide eyes of a, a 21-year-old, really, entering it and with curiosity and with excitement about the way things had had changed and moved forward within that time. Yeah. I know a lot of women particularly find it quite tricky if they have been put in a certain pigeonhole, perhaps as a younger actor, when they get older, if they were the classic juvenile lead, for instance, Mm -hmm. and then they age out of it. What were you sort of 
pushed towards when you first started working? Well, it was made very clear to me by several people that I would struggle to find work in my 20s as a character mm. actor. Right. Uh, so I so was, you were uh, character actors. Yeah, I was territory. very, very, <laughs> I, I was never an ingenue. I right. was never going to be playing those roles. Yeah. And so I was very much pigeonholed as that. And, um, you know, where, where all those issues intersect with others, it becomes a more powerful thing. So obviously being a character actor with a very strong uh, regional dialect yeah. from a working class background, that made me even more pigeonholed. So, you know, I might get the odd maid. Oh, nice. But uh, but generally, <laughs> it would be very, very difficult. I was told you probably won't work much until your 40s, which is wow. not what you want to hear when you leave no. drama school at 21. No, no, It's like not quite what I had in mind for myself, you know, 20 years of unemployment before finding something else. And and I was very lucky in that um, I had a, a teacher and mentor and mm. who set up a theatre company the year before I left. And then we built a theatre in Paddington, the great yeah. Brian Asprey. And uh, with a group of us, Rufus Norris directed his first play oh, wow. there. And we, um, it was an apprenticeship. You know, mm. we, we put on plays there for two years. I played uh, a plethora of different roles yeah. that, that I probably wouldn't have been able to in a paid capacity. I was sure. signing on, I was claiming the doll, I was getting housing benefit, you know, and this is something I'm really passionate about now. Um, but yeah, so I did that, and so the twenties, my twenties were were difficult. There was a lot of unemployment after I'd left Arts Threshold, and then I was very, very fortunate to get Coronation Street when I was yeah. twenty seven, and oh, I was right. kind of playing a middle aged woman then, <laughs> so it was great. So I'd, I, I sort of um, sidestepped the, those yeah. years of unemployment throughout my thirties that everyone had predicted for me by playing a part that was actually older than me, but yeah. completely presented as older than me. In fact, yeah. you know, the, the man, fantastic David Nielsen, who played. Roy Cropper, my husband in it, was like 21 years older than oh, me. Wow. You know, nobody even like bat an eyelid about that. Yeah. We look completely the same age, <laughs> rather depressingly for me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was um so it was a very, very wonderful thing yeah. to get into Coronation Street at that age and to have that security all through mm. those years that have been predicted as being uh quite quite difficult for me, I suppose. And um yeah. and in leaving Coronation Street you know, one of the, the big, big issues for me in my list of pros and cons about leaving was that Coronation Street is a really, really amazing place to grow old, yeah. especially as a woman. Yeah. You know, there aren't very many other, I don't know, genres, I suppose, where the, you're still getting fabulous storylines in your yeah. 80s and now 90s, you know, where yeah. you're, you're still having love affairs and divorces and sieges and being held mm. at gunpoint in the sweet shop, you know, all this, you know, it's, it's like, it's an amazing thing. And also yeah. how it keeps you young. I mean, you can see with all the older actors in Curry, you know, how incredibly youthful they are, how incredibly on it they are with their lines, you know, because that part of their brain has been kept active for years and years, but also just hanging out with a group of people from all different ages and backgrounds is very, very good for a person ageing. So that really was the, the main thing that made me nervous about leaving. It was um, more than the security of yeah. having a, a job like Corey. It was more that of like, why would I be leaving something as I enter middle yeah. age, really? Why do you think it is that we are seemingly more willing, or whoever decides on who is presented to us, is more willing to centre older women in stories in a soap, whereas 
that doesn't happen in a film unless it's you know Hotel Marigold where it's full of old people. Like there's well, you know, that, really well there unusual. is that. I mean, and there is that world of older older people. I mean, I know Andrew's going to talk a lot mm. about sort of being a, a man in, aging in the industry, but as as a woman in particular, for me, it's often seen, and this is changing thankfully, but but very slowly. And, you know, as we've said before, not because the industry suddenly gone, oh, do you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Here's some parts for older women. It's because of like grassroots activism, fighting for it for years and years and yeah. years. But it's, um, you know, it, there's always seemed to be two sort of tropes of ageing women. Yeah. And one is the very glamorous Hampstead kind of woman, you know, the, the Hotel Marigold, the, the Joanna Lumleys and yeah. the, and the um, Charlotte Ramplins. Yeah. You know, and that's a wonderful thing to see. But also, you know, when you intersect it with class, very often mm. older working class women are, you know, I, I see beautiful, spirited, smart, lively, vibrant older actresses very often, like in a shawl dribbling in an old people's home. You know, it's yeah. kind of, I'm so sick of seeing that as, yeah. like a, as a trope of like, and, you know, the beleaguered middle-aged daughter going to visit him, you know, in despair mm. as they sit silently by the window. You know, yeah. I, I just feel like those are, you know, we need to be growing out of those tropes now and actually mm. reflecting that the women who were playing those roles and yeah. their lives in some way. And, and it is getting better. You know, there are a million examples of great ones. Anything that Anne Reid plays, for example, you know, yeah. it's like always brilliant. She chooses so brilliantly. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, Lots of writers are, are catching on to the idea that people with a rich and full life behind them make rich and full and interesting drama as well. Yeah. And that's really exciting. And I think that for something like a soap, that it's just clear, you know, people always say we want to see the older characters we want to see the legends we want yeah. those are our favorite scenes we want to see rita and norris and yeah. you know we want to see them in the rovers chatting we, we don't want to see all these like young people who all look the same <laughs> kind of having the dramas you know who yeah, we, we haven't yeah. had a chance to get to know and fall in love with yet so there is an appetite for those there stories is, yeah. and people watching television or an aging population and want to see yeah. themselves reflected in all the fullness and mm. and so so yeah i think we're finally catching on to that yeah. maybe because that is the key isn't it is interesting that i wonder somehow sometimes who people think television is being made for yeah Bearing in mind the general audience, there are a huge amount of women over the age of 45, 50 who are the main viewership of many television yeah, programs yeah. and don't see themselves represented so much. But I guess just before we bring in Andrew, what was your experience then when you left? Uh, how old were you? 40 something? I was, when you 40, I was 43 when I left. 43. Yeah, yeah. How was that? I mean, it sounds like you went into it with an amazing attitude of just being curious and excited, but what did you find had changed perhaps in your, and I hate to use this word, marketability uh, as yeah. an actor? Um, and what, what was that experience like? Well, I think it, it's a little bit difficult for me to talk about it more generally because obviously I have the privilege of being a well-known face because yeah. of Coronation Street. So my marketability was very much um, based on that, mm. you know, as, a, as an ITV, a popular ITV face, you know, it's like, and uh, and so so there was uh, an appetite from commissioners to to place me in things that would bring an audience that was the Coronation Street audience, which is still yeah. getting the biggest audiences, you know. Sure. Um, so I think that you know I can't really speak for all aging women. It would be. <laughs> I think I think I would get a lot of flack for that because I think it's very difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. But I have seen 
definitely um, a change in attitudes towards it and an interest in telling those stories mm. for sure. You know, things like Happy Valley have done yeah. wonders for for middle-aged women, ordinary-looking middle-aged women, you know. I mean, Sarah Lancashire is just like every woman. And yeah. I don't know a single person who, who didn't, wasn't completely captivated by that performance and, and saw something of themselves in it, you know, sort of curmudgeonly ordinary woman dealing with these extraordinary circumstances. And, yeah. and, and, and I think that that's helped when something yeah. like that is so popular and, yeah. has, and has captured the national imagination in that way. I think that the commissioners then think, oh, we want more of this. And, and yeah. that is helpful. So, so I was very, very lucky that as I came out of Corrie, that was kind of beginning to happen. Yeah. And uh, and so I entered into a world that was much more ready for that. The first mm. the first TV role I did was Cucumber, Russell T. Davis's oh, yes. massive sort of like queer epic, you know, yeah. that we all thought was going to be a massive hit and wasn't. We were like, oh, yeah, this is the best. It was the most fun job ever. And, yeah. and in that, I was playing, he wrote so beautifully for me. I was playing mm. the sister of the main character who talked about ageing, who talked about sex, yeah. who talked about the experience of having an aging body and still being interested in sex. And and it was just a whole episode mm. around that where I had a, a blind date with Idol O'Hanlon and old love and, you know, and I, you know, and, and about exploring that. Yeah. And that felt new and exciting for me. That is interesting, isn't it? Because there's there's the wider topic of seeing uh, a variety of older women on the on the screen and on the stage rather than the sort of the the categories that we've talked about, but also what they are given to talk about and the sorts of storylines. And that one in particular, I mean, I guess moving on from Cucumber, then we had things like Gillian Anderson's character in Sex Education, which sort of picked yes. up a little bit on that as well. Yes. And that whole area is interesting. That there isn't much that looks at the sexuality of older women no. on on anything. Really. No, no, absolutely, and yeah. and uh, and I think that's because of who who runs things, and that's changing. Yeah, you know? and yeah, it's like yeah. it's all about representation, and it's yeah. all about intersection, the intersection of, of of different identities, really, and 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 how we want to see them. And how we want to see ourselves portrayed. And sometimes we yeah. want escapism. But yeah. sometimes we want to see reality reflected back at us. And yeah. and and I think that, that that can only happen if the writers and directors and commissioning editors are from different worlds. You yeah. know, a wide range of different worlds that reflect our society. You know, absolutely yeah. passionate about that. And that is the thing that I saw the most difference in. Actually, not so much when I came out of Coronation Street, but in the years that have followed, which is 10 years now, mm. there's been this explosion of diversity and representation and about mixing things up. And I find it exhilarating. I find it exhilarating to see the world and learn about different worlds. And yeah. it's very important as an older person, I think, yeah. to celebrate that and yeah. not to become an old fart. I mean, it's really... <laughs> and to think you have all the answers, you know. It's like yeah. every job I do, I'm working with younger people. I never think that they're younger than me. I always assume yeah. we're the same age. And I, I just did The Jungle in New York and I was in a dressing room with three much younger women mm. and I met one of their mums one night and I couldn't make sense of it why, why her mum was my age I was like why isn't she a little old lady like my mum yeah. I was like your mum's really 
young. And yeah. she was like, yeah, she's she's 52. And I was like, oh, yes, because you are 23. <laughs> yeah. And you're my friend. And it's like, and it's like yeah. and that, that keeps you young. You know, I mean, it's a horrible you know, yeah. trick you play on yourself sometimes. But, yeah. Um, yeah. but I learn so much from working with younger people all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and for me to go into any situation with any idea of, of being you know, aged and experienced and being able to, you know, impart some wisdom. I mean, I hope there's some things I can bring to the yeah. table, but it's really important for that to be a, a two-way conversation yeah, for absolutely. sure. And it's, um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to bring in Andrew now. So I know, Andrew, that you have also spent a lot of time teaching in different drama schools as, as well and also working with a lot of young people. But just to sort of rewind on your career, um, first of all, when did you start working and how long have you been doing it? I started in 1968 as a technical ASM at the old Phoenix Theatre in Leicester. Oh. And I, this is my 55th year. Oh, wow. Now. Um, and I gradually moved from being a technical ASM. I, uh, the, the man who, wrote, who ran the theatre, wonderful man who's no longer with us, called Robin Midgley, Robin stopped me in the <clears throat> corridor one day and said, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a stage manager? Because I'd gone there just on the understanding there was no acting. It was just technical, sure. making coffee and all that. <laughs> and I said, well, I really want to be an actor. He said, right, leave it with me. So he started giving me walk-on roles um, in, in, lots of, in lots of plays, uh, much to the chagrin of my stage manager. <laughs> <clears throat> He wanted you to be making the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And said, I didn't hire you to, because she'd say, I need you to do that. And I said, well, I can't, Susie, because I'm, I'm, I'm in rehearsal this morning. Mm. And she would hit the roof. And I used to want to say, look, don't take it out on me. Take it out on Robin. But um, yeah. it, it was wonderful because it just sort of got me onto the professional stage. And then mm. following that, I went down to the old rep in Farnham in Surrey as an acting ASM where it was 50% acting, 50% technical. And while I was there, um, the director, another wonderful old man who's no longer with us called Ian Mullins. Ian took me off the technical ASMing and, and made me an actor. And there was about four of us, five of us, who were regulars there. The previous director had run the place into the ground and it was in the red, and Ian couldn't afford expensive actors, so there was me and three or four other people straight out of drama school. We played them all. Right, the cheap Everything. actors. We played it. We played. <laughs> and when I look back on some of the performances, I feel like I need to apologise <laughs> to the good burgers of Farnham for some of the atrocious thing. But it was great because, I mean, I was the last generation, I think, that came through that rep system, mm. and I did that for the next... 10 years, 11 years, till I went to the RSC, and then that all changed. And yeah. I, I did some rep sometimes after that, but that's where it all started. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a 55 years is a significant career to look back over. Um, obviously, we've been talking with Julie about how much uh, roles change specifically for women as they get older, but how have you found the experience for men? Is it a similar, really obvious shift? Are there the same amount of parts around? How's your ageing been? <laughs> well, it's just, uh, like Julie was just saying, you sort of forget how old you actually are, because inside, you, I suppose it happens to all actors, I still think I'm sort of, as Judy Dench said the other day, 
she sees herself as being Willow in an age 39. Oh, Judy Dent, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I think, yes, I know what she means, actually. Yeah. But it's only sometimes that you're sort of aware, oh, yes, gosh, I've got older, hasn't I? And I think if you sort of think of, say, if you think of a play like Hamlet, at one point I was suitable for Horatio. Then suddenly years passed and I, I was offered Claudius. I think, mm. okay, fair enough. <laughs> and then... About 10 years ago, I hit the next barrier, which was uh, I, I worked for uh, the Haymarket and did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern the Dead mm. for Trevor Nunn, and he cast me as Polonius. Right. <laughs> and then he cast me as Gonzalo in The Tempest, and I thought, oh, right, he's aged counsellors now. <laughs> right, I get it. Yeah. But it, yet inside, I've always been bald since I was 21, so I used to play ancient butlers. That, that was not- <laughs> That's that your was niche. my role in yeah. rep, and, okay. and if in doubt, they were aged about 121. Sure, so, sure. So, you know, anyway. But um, when I was doing, not so much Polonia, but when I did Gonzalo, Trevor, I think two or three times, came up and trevved me. There's a famous <laughs> expression called being trevved, which Trevor <laughs> comes up and he puts his arm around you. Right. And he walks you around the rehearsal room. It's <laughs> lovely. And you don't know whether he was supposed to put your arm around him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> where to look. But he's giving you all this stuff, which is wonderful. But the main thrust to what he said to me three times as Gonzalo, Andrew, you don't have to act being old. <laughs> Okay. Yes. No. You're absolutely right, Trevor. Yeah, I am that age now, aren't I? I'd forgotten. Yeah. And I was doing old man acting, and then a few weeks later, he'd say, "Andrew, and I get Trevor again." Yeah. And he'd say me the same thing. So. (laughs) And I have heard that from from older actresses as well. Exactly the same. Of like, they just people have gone like, I don't know why she's doing that performance. (laughs) Yeah. Because she's like, she's cheers. An you elderly person, <laughs> yeah. but she's playing it like, I don't know, some sort of 1950s kind yes. of like yeah, old, yeah. old neighbour or something. That's it's so like, funny. yeah, yeah. I think I did it for so long, but I still sort of thought I'd got to go into that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the shaking hand, the stooped shoulders. Yeah. It's like, yeah. That's and, then, right. and then you sprightly leave the, the, the rehearsal room. <laughs> That's right. What a way to be reminded of your age, though, by being trevved. <laughs> Yeah, great. Yeah, so you know, Andrew, you, you are an old man now. <laughs> yes, that's right. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, so I guess, how, how have you found finding work if you got older? Has it, has it been more challenging? Have you found it the same? You obviously had quite a repertoire of playing older men when you were younger anyway. <laughs> I did. More challenging, I think. But that was sort of down to a career decision. I got into mm-hmm. the mid Nine, 1990s and basically I, I taught for 10 years 11 years I became gradually I became head of postgrad at Mountview mm. ran the course there which was wonderful and then I went back into right theatre again with Lord of the Rings which was a hell of a way to go back into it that so is one way to go back in then mm. I went across the road and did Woman in Black oh yes and then I had this wonderful period then I went work with Trevor at Haymarket and then I did various other things, but then it started to peter out a bit about sort of 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Hmm. Um, and the ground has got thinner and thinner. Right. Um, and I think it's because a lot of people, my agent tells me, that a lot of people don't know who I am. Hmm. Because a lot of the young casting directors and their assistants, whatever, you know, they're from another era. 
Yeah, they don't yeah, know yeah, that I was at the RSC for ten years or whatever it was, on and off. You know, that, so you don't kind of get remembered. You've got to re-establish yourself. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because it 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 almost there is often such a turnover, particularly casting assistants. I think with people coming in, and it it's odd that it sounds like you almost go back to being a new graduate again once yeah. you get beyond a certain amount of time because. Yeah your body of work perhaps isn't as well known by people yeah. who are sort of coming into it. I mean, how how have you got around that? I know you're a very proactive person, Andrew. What have you done to try to to get around that? Well, I've tried to use the people that I know, and mm. I've got a lot of work like that. I mean, I did a, a, a television episode of New Tricks a few years ago, and it was directed by Andy Hay, mm-hmm. who used to be the artistic director of Bristol Vic. Right. And it was that connection... <clears throat> Excuse me. It was that connection that got me the role, and I've written to Trevor. Ken, I'm going to name drop now. <laughs> no, you, you go can for hear it. Hear the clang. <laughs> no, we love but it. But I write to Ken Branner because I I did a season with Ken at Stratford. Ray Fines, who I did the Tempest yeah. with for Trevor, um, and various people that I think let me just sort of use that in the nicest way. Because mm. I hope I, when I've worked with those people, I didn't screw up too badly. And they probably think, well, yeah, he'll be, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. We'll go over that. <laughs> the other thing I've noticed quite a lot um, is that quite often, and we've sort of touched on it a bit already just in your previous career, but a lot of the time, old parts, in inverted commas, uh, seem to be cast using actors that are maybe 10 years younger than mm. the part that they're playing. Mm. Do you have a sense of why this is? Do you think people are scared that, actually genuinely older people are just going to keel over halfway through? I mean, do you know, have you had a sense why that might be? I, I wonder because, I mean, I'm 76 now, but I do have a worry that maybe I won't be able to remember things like I used to be able to. Right. A few years ago, I understudied Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart in No Man's Land at Wyndham. Wow. Which basically <laughs> meant I had to learn wow. the entire play. Yeah. And I remember the director, Sean Mathias, saying to me, are you sure you're going to be all right with this? And mm. I said, well, yeah, I've just done Woman in Black a few years. I said, and that, that's huge. Yeah. I'll be all right. And I was. Yeah. But you kind of <clears throat> wonder as time goes on, because my memory isn't in other ways quite what it was you know I can't think of words like I used I don't know so I I, it's a worry Mm. and you kind of think maybe that's why not that you're going to keel over but but (laughs) people kind of worry that if you're getting older there might be an issue yeah I remember not that long ago it just reminded me when Julia was talking about you know feeling very young inside we we were on stage and uh there was a big sort of note session, I think it was Trevor, and he, and, he, and he sort of said, right, I'll just give you some notes on that scene. And um, we were all standing around, and suddenly the stage manager arrived with a chair. <laughs> and said, Andrew, would you like to sit down? <laughs> and I didn't know whether to say, how dare you? <laughs> or actually what I said was, Thank oh, <laughs> thanks, so, thanks ever so much. Yes, that'd be lovely. But there was me sitting on a chair thinking, oh, God, I'm old. Look at all these young people standing up. And I didn't really need you, but I think maybe there is something of that. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. That's great. It's great, isn't it? Um, I suppose, Julie, just to bring you back in again, um, you particularly have aged very publicly on our screens, particularly during Coronation Street. You were yeah. constantly in front of us. How is that, I suppose, just to, to grow old in front of the nation? 
Oh, yeah, what a good question. Um, mm. I don't know, really, because you don't... Because obviously I wasn't watching old episodes sure, until they sure. started showing them again. Yeah. And then it's really shocking because obviously uh, I felt like I looked pretty much the same throughout my yeah, early years because I had the wig and the anorak and it's kind of... <laughs> but actually... Uh, it was it was quite surprising to see early episodes just how like clear my skin is and how high my voice is. Oh, really? high voice. Sounds like I've smoked forty fags a day since. It's like <laughs> my, my voice has dropped at least two octaves since I started yeah. it. So yeah, so that that was a bit a bit surprising. And I think I think more so really. I think the difference for a woman between mm. forty two and fifty three is for me. Yeah. Um, is more marks because yes. of menopause, you know, and I know yeah. there's a lot of discussion around that at the moment. Yeah. And a lot of women of my age being very vocal about it and about yeah. and, and what Andrew's talking about, about memory, you know, the brain fog of menopause and all those mm. things and trying to be supported in that throughout work. You know, yeah. I mean, not particularly myself, I've been very lucky with it, but mm. but it's um but you are you do suddenly become aware of it. And yeah. Again, in a way, I've been quite lucky in that I think that if you've been a great beauty in your youth, I think ageing becomes a very, very problematic thing. And, and that's when people try to to halt those signs mm. of ageing in, in, you know, quite extreme ways sometimes. Have and you ever been tempted to at any point? No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't because I can always... I mean, people say there's good work and bad work, so I yeah. no good work, do you know? Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. that, I, no, I've never been tempted to, mm. to do it. And uh, and that could change, but I can't imagine that I would yeah. ever want to, just because I've, it, that's never been part of my identity, you know? Yeah. So so I, women talk a lot about, and men possibly too, about becoming invisible suddenly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, and I never really was visible in that way. I was only visible because of, of, fame with a certain kind yeah. of celebrity that comes from being in a huge soap opera yeah but um so yeah it, it hasn't it hasn't massively impacted me mm. other than how it would impact all women yeah of my age because of the culture you know yeah. you can't get away from that and yeah. trying to stay true to that and trying to keep hold of the fact that you want to see real women on screen mm. And knowing that you can be part of that as yeah. an actor, but at the same time, looking at yourself and going, oh, that ass, oh, nah. oh, those jowls, <laughs> oh, that chin, oh, you know, oh, why didn't they film me from that angle? Those things are yeah. just in you and it, and, yeah. and it pains me to even admit that I have those those voices mm. of criticism. How, how do you me. deal with that? What's your sort of process around that? Well, I talk myself through it because mm. it's it's I know that people aren't seeing me in the way that I'm seeing myself, you know, and yeah. they're, they're just seeing a person, yeah, you know, and, and they're not seeing that I can actually, you know, not going, oh, actually, you, that's not your good side. You know, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's complicated because a woman's relationship with her face and body as she ages is complicated mm. anyway. Mm. And so by watching yourself in a way that a lot of women won't do, in a filterless moving and talking way yeah. um, in front of millions of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's obviously exacerbates that to some extent. So I've had to do a lot of work on that. And and I think that we owe ourselves and the rest of the population that to do that work and not to fall prey to it really because 
it's really important that we are body positive at our age and that we are ageing appropriately and that mm. we are portraying women who look like us and sound yeah. like us and it matters it really matters yeah. it's, again it's representation it, it it's important and and to show ordinary people it's like a really really good example is a uh, when I was in Broadchurch, I played the survivor of a, a serious sexual assault, a rape. Mm. And I was very, very concerned when I took that role, how that drama would unfold and what it would be saying. Yeah. And I made made it very clear that I couldn't take that role unless it was saying what, what I would hope it would be saying. You know, yeah. For example, if it was a false accusation, I wouldn't want to be part of telling that story. Yeah. Yeah. I was very interested and curious of the fact that they had cast me as a mm. very ordinary-looking middle-aged woman in the role of a rape survivor. I was yeah. very interested in, in what that was about. And I had to fight a, a lot of mm. internalised misogyny around mm. that, of saying, what will people say? What will people think? Will people think, well, who would rape that? That's so you know, interesting. It's, it's terrible, yeah. isn't it? It's a, a terrible... Thing to have sitting inside of you to mm. make those to to step outside yourself and and wonder what an audience would make of it and and it galvanized me actually you know mm. because it, I realized how important it was and how rare it was to see that because of course rape is not uh, an act of desire yeah it's an act of violence and yeah. that violence can be meted out upon you know children women of all ages yeah. and and all identities, and that's that matters that that, that was the case uh, for, for that drama. And I was very, very proud to be the face mm. of that. But God, it's very it, difficult for yourself yeah. to, to, to even talk about that yeah. because there's an admission then of you seeing yourself as other than what you used to seeing on screen. Mm. And it was very important that it was very much from her point of view and, and that because obviously... The, the trope of sexual assault is the, the woman pursued, the, the beautiful young woman being pursued through the woods by the predator and the camera being that person's point yeah, of view. Yeah. And, 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 it, and Broadchurch you know, really, really yeah. tried to upend that. Yeah. Very successfully, I think, yeah. I'm glad to say. But, but, it was, uh, but that was a real moment for me. But you know, Julie, it makes me so sad to hear, and quite emotional actually, to hear you say that and for for even if it's a small part of you to be asking that question yeah because and, and you're absolutely right it comes back round again to how important representation is because if that's all we ever see in terms yeah. of that dynamic and who yeah. what kind of person gets raped i mean what an awful yeah thing to have categorized the person that that yeah, would happen yeah. to and how i've internalized that for my yeah. culture even yeah. though i am a, a, a thinking politically minded feminist mm. i i still yeah. i had internalized that just from what i know of you and yeah. from what you're so passionate about the fact that somebody who is as open-minded and so passionately political as well as you are yeah can have that thought process about yourself yeah is just but it's really, really, really important, isn't it, to be honest about that and to say that, that this is the experience of being yeah. a, a woman in the world who doesn't adhere to a certain yeah. way of looking or, or being. And, yeah. and, and, and we're, we're absolutely inundated with images mm. that, that 
that reinforce those thoughts and feelings yeah. in us all the time. And it's very difficult. You know, I'm a mother of daughters and and mm. trying to trying to keep steady within that as well, you know, yeah. is is a, a difficult thing because it's hard, you know, it yeah. is hard. And and even in terms of ageing, I mean, we talked a little bit about this, Hannah, about, um, you know, the constant memes on my social media of like sort of like ageing positivity. Mm. You know, so, so there'll be like pictures of Helen Mirren and Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. and Annie Lennox. They're the classic yeah, three, yeah. you know. Short-haired, beautiful like women mm. who've aged like oh, I mean, just wonderfully. And like, this is what old age looks like, you know, own it and whatever. And I'm just like, that is not what I am going to look like <laughs> when I am that age, you know. It's like that is not particularly helpful for me. That's just another thing for me to aspire yeah. to that I am not going to be able to do. Yeah. If you like, if you gave me a really short haircut like like Annie Lennox when I am like her age, I am not going to look like Annie Lennox. It's like, it's like, it's it's you know. It, it, that's it as well you know yeah. we, we need to be seeing lots mm. of different things and we need to be seeing ordinary looking and i put that in heavy mm. inverted commas because what is that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but a more average idea of what a person looks like doing all the things that we all do mm. having sex badly or well yeah, falling in yeah, love yeah, yeah. making fools of ourselves you know being yeah. attacked being standing up for ourselves being vulnerable being brave being strong yeah. all those things we we need to embody that and it's like and it's hard when when you're becoming the face of the heart yeah you know you, you because you just like in in life you don't want to be you don't want to be anyone's fetish do you know what I mean yeah. you know what I mean like, it's like you know what I mean like yeah oh yeah 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 he loves old women well that's, that's, not, that's not what I want <laughs> It's Quite the same in TV, you know. We want someone really ordinary looking. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Someone who's like aged but not particularly well. Nice. You don't nice. want that to be the casting call for yeah, you ever. Yeah. But at the same time, you're just like, no, I, I understand that that's yeah, my place yeah, yeah. in this and, and to try and hold steady within yeah. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that was kind of my next question to Andrew as well, which is that as you've got older and the sorts of roles you are then put up for, has that affected your identity as a human, let alone as a working actor the sort of as you said the category aged but you know not well whatever the (laughs) thing they might put on the casting breakdown has that affected either of you in terms of your own way that you look at yourself well Andrew you answered that I'm going to say not really Mm. simply because I used to say to my students look don't question why you're an actor Anybody who has to spend 90% of their waking life pretending to be somebody else or can't be well at home, we're not not going there. I know at some level that, let's take, you know, I did Richard III for over a long period with English Shakespeare Company, and it sort of came to me then. I thought, "I, I think I'm better at being Richard III than I am at being Andrew Jarvis. Wow. Because I can do things as Richard III that I'm too scared to do as Andrew Jarvis. Mm. I can bring out all the kind of ugly bits and all that Mm. and not worry about it because my final excuse subconsciously is to be able to say to the audience, well, it's Richard III saying that, not me, not me. But it means that I can, yeah, just become other. And I think... That need to do that comes from this childlike ability to act. Somebody asked Edith Evans, you're a great actress. How, why are you great actors? And she just said, 
I pretend. Mm. And that's the bottom line. <laughs> yeah. So I think it, I, I'm just aware that, that I, I'm only available for the older parts now. <laughs> but yeah. inside, I don't kind of think that shapes my identity. I still yeah. feel I'm 18. Lovely. It's only that's moments when I go up for an advert and I walk into the room and there's 20 guys who look just like me. Oh, <laughs> Sort of cross between Father Christmas and Gandalf. I think, oh, right, you're the ones who get the roles in front of me. But that's the only time, really. <laughs> that is the absolute perfect visual for everyone listening to this. It well, really is. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I suppose for me, as, 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 you know, a little bit younger than Andrew and a woman, I, I really feel like I'm in a bit of a, a, a golden age of it, really. Mm. Because if you think of the 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 actresses of my generation who were sort of big right now you know were sort of like within 10 years of me say you know you you have Siobhan Finneran you have uh, Rosie Cavallero mm. you have Sarah Lancashire yeah you have Saran Jones and 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 you have Monica Dolan you know who's yeah. this who's like the actor's actor to end all actors actor I think you know she's yeah. like um Susan Brown said to me recently, she's like a vessel into which you pour character. Mm. And I've seen her play vamps and I've seen her play dowdy old ladies. I've, se I've seen her play everything. And I completely believe every time that yeah. that, is, that is she. And, 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 and for me, I, I don't feel so much... I'm not so much of a vessel as what you're describing is what I would always have wanted to be, Andrew. But I feel... Mm. I feel the weight of being Julie Esmond Dalsh in anything that I bring, and I think that's because of Coronation Street. It's like yeah. that that I that, that I bring with me, like what you just said then, Hannah, about mm. like, or oh, if even Julie thinks that, yeah, then it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. I bring the weight of that to whatever yeah. I do, and that the parts that I play have to fit in with that in some way because yeah. it's I don't know. I have a, I feel like I have a responsibility larger than myself as yeah. a as a, a a public person i think i don't yeah. know yeah 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 uh, so so yes. it's interesting when you when mm. that becomes a little bit blurred you know and, that's and, interesting but i but i do feel very very fortunate to be around all these amazing women i've just worked with monica with leslie nickel with susan brown you know mm. and it's kind of like amazing to to be working with those those people who are still having really wonderful, rich careers, and yeah. you know, you've mm. got your Anna Calder Marshalls and mm. your Anne Reeds, you know, to to look forward to as yeah. well. And yeah. you know, it's I, I feel like all through my life, I've I've just been in time for the next lucky bit. Yeah, you know, in yeah, terms yeah, of like yeah, getting yeah, a grant yeah. to go to drama school, being able to get the door yeah. afterwards, you know, all those things. And and now I feel like I'm entering a period of aging yeah. when. When that seems to be being, it does seem to be changing. I yeah. hope it is. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm really, really aware as well that I'm sitting here as a as a, a quite well known white woman now yeah. as well, and that's very, very different, different and difficult, and that yeah. there will be a whole different set of problems or or issues moving forward if you have a disability or mm. if you are, you know, a person of color in this industry. You know, I mean, the yeah. the, the tropes of it aging black women i mean where do we even yeah, begin with yeah. that and south asian women and yeah. you know the invisibility of like, aging east asian women on our screen yeah. i mean all those things are things that that you always have to be aware of whenever you're talking about your yeah. own experience as well because yeah. as i say whatever you're going through when it intersects with something else you yeah. know it's a it's an extra yeah. 
an extra yeah. layer to what you're up against and yeah you know and I'm always trying to be mindful of that yeah and I suppose on on that note and to both of you again um why do you think it is that so many actors stop the profession either on the way to aging or when they get into their later years whoever wants to go first <laughs> I I know a lot of act actors of both sexes actually who have given up in sort of late middle age or so. Um, and I understand it. I've, I've kept on because I love it so much. But I found that, and I think maybe this is why those people stop, the longer you go on, the more secure, insecure you get. Mm. I think because you know more, you know what the problems are, you know what the weaknesses are. <laughs> And so you kind of that level of, confidence, of youth. <laughs> yeah. The level of confidence somehow gets undermined. But I've taken great comfort from the fact, say, somebody like Peggy Ashcroft, when she was not that long before she died, when she was in her 80s, I can't remember when she died exactly, but in her 80s, said the next review would say, in effect, there you are, I told you she couldn't do it. Mm. And I thought, God, I'm so glad you said that because yeah. that's what I feel. I've been waiting 50-odd years for somebody to come up and tap me on the shoulder and say, let's face it, Andrew, you're not really an actor, are you? Gosh. Yeah. And that sort of got worse. And I, told my, I used to tell my students that because we live with that immense insecurity yeah. mm. that we're going to get found out mm. or something. And when Peggy Ashcroft said that, I love that. Um, but but I wonder if for a lot of people it's just too yeah. wearing to go on and on and on. First nights, I always think half of me wants to suck my own thumb and go <laughs> home and watch the telly, 100%, and yeah. the other half can't wait to get on. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I always yeah. think I cannot believe that I volunteer to put myself <laughs> through this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that gets to you in the end. Yeah. But then again, great actors. I worked with Derek Jacobi a few times. Derek, you know, oh, yeah. he, you know, he he he'd say things that made me think, "Oh, good, you're scared as well, are you?" Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks, Derek. I feel better now yeah. with everything you've yeah. done. You know. Yeah. And I think it's really important in it to to not let that turn you into somebody very defensive, you know, because, I, you know, I've, I've yeah. seen older actors be, turn that insecurity into, mm. like, pomposity, mm. you know, oh, where, where yeah, people, sorry. you know, and, and you know yeah. it's com it comes from fear, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah. and, and being in a room and, and starting to feel like they're not quite as on top of it as they could be and starting yeah. to feel like they're going to be yes. found out and, yes. and, and it, it, that held on sort of tightness of that that can turn mm, into yeah. something that's a, a bit difficult to be in a room with. Very good. Oh, you've yes, got to no, fight against that. that. Yeah. You've got to push against that and yes. sort of yes. lean into the vulnerability of it without yeah. it becoming something that makes you, that hardens you yeah. to criticism or notes even, you know, it's yeah. kind of... And it does, and it, and it can destroy people, I think, as you get older because yeah. it's just, it's... Mm. And the... And the and the whole hierarchy of the industry and the mm. way that it's set up in a, a structure where people are held in regard and others aren't, it, yeah. that's so unhealthy, I think, that 
I think as an older person, when you feel like you've earned a little bit more of that yes. and you're still living within those structures where yeah. you're being treated a bit like a second class citizen in a room, I just I think that people are just like, I can't handle that anymore. Yeah. That, yeah. that status anxiety right. and that sort of yeah. like, that kind of like, oh, trying to get a word in with the director who's like, oh, it's just, yeah. it's just awful, you know. Part yeah. of it just goes like, oh, I, I, I need to be putting my energy somewhere else and so mm. yeah so i think that it's really really important to try and work with that stuff and work within yeah. it and and carry on being kind and vulnerable and curious mm. and grateful and and and, so, and to not let it let it do that to you yeah. not let it make you quit and not let it make you be there but but in that sort really of defensive slightly way. defensive yeah. way yeah and it's funny isn't it that you'd think that it seems to be the longer, the more evidence in terms of a body of work you have that you are a great actor, the more paranoid everyone gets that they might not be. But I know, Andrew, you've got quite a good way of uh, of, of quashing the stage nerves, I believe. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, please tell me. <laughs> well, there's, there's two things I used to say to my students, two anecdotes. Well, one's an anecdote, the other's something I've sort of, I don't know, I've got it from somebody. Anyway. The anecdote was um, I was told that uh, John Mills, when he'd been off the stage for a long, long, long time doing films, obviously, he went back on stage and found he had very little confidence and had known that Laurence Olivier had gone through a similar kind of period. So mm -hmm. he thought, I'll, I'll ask him, what do you do? So he, he said to Olivier, can he help me? How do you get confidence? And Olivier said, well, I'll tell you what I do and you must do it. He said, I go down onto the stage, this was the Old Vic, I go down onto the stage at the Old Vic just before they open the doors, so maybe about the half, and I can hear the audience outside. And I say in a very loud voice to the empty auditorium, you are about to see the greatest fucking performance <laughs> of your entire <laughs> theatre-going lives, and I shall be giving it, you lucky people. He said, then leave the stage, and the next time you come on that stage, that's the last thing he said. So you'll say, in effect, you're putting up two fingers to him in a nice way. Yeah. The, the, the um, button on the end of this terrible story <laughs> is that I was very fortunate to play Richard III at the Old Wick in the Wars of the Roses with English Shakespeare Company over a period of six weeks. Mm. So I thought, I oh, know, I'll do what Lawrence Hillary did. What he said to John Mills, so one night before the show, during preview, I went down on stage, thought, all right, here we go. I opened my mouth, and at that moment, I realised that the show relay microphones were on, so it would go around all the dressing rooms. <laughs> so what did I do? Oh, you realised in time. <laughs> I, what did I do? Julie I, is literally on the edge of her seat for everyone who's listening to this. <laughs> I whispered it. Because I was too scared that everybody would hear. And that's I thought, so that's the difference. Laurence Olivier knew they could all hear, and he went, screw it. I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> You're about to see the best of yes. us. I'm going to see. And the other thing that I used to say to my students, the two most important words you can say before you work onto a stage are, fuck it. Lovely. Yeah. And Judy Dench Lovely. has got a variation on that. She stands there on a press night and so apparently, uh, fuck them, fuck them, fuck them. 
Because you've got yeah, to have, yeah. Sybil Dawn likes it, you've got to have a positive attitude towards your audience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, either love, no, seriously, yeah. either love them or hate them, yeah. but don't be indifferent to them. Yeah. Yes. And in this case, it's kind of the equivalent of the Lawrence Olivier story. Yeah. You're putting up yeah. two fingers and saying, yeah. well, I hope you like it. When you say, fuck it, this is what I used to you know, just help the students with. You're not actually saying that. Yeah. You're actually saying, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to trust yeah. that what I've got is okay. Yeah. yeah. And a student um, who I taught at Mountview contacted me a couple of years after he'd left and he was doing weekly rep at Sidmouth. So they were churning the plays out. I mean, it was a great experience for him. Yeah. But he said they were all getting so jaded after about the eighth play. Yeah. And he said, Andrew, do you know what I did? He said, I got some set, some A4 paper, about ten sheets, and I wrote fuck it on each one, and I went and stuck it on the back of every flat around the set. <laughs> Brilliant. And she said, and he said, and then all the cast went, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And he said that's it made amazing. all the difference to yeah. us getting through. Yeah. So I guess, just, final question to both of you, um, which you've both talked about quite a lot all the way through, actually, but how do you keep the love for this business, doing it for this long? Um, I just, I really believe in art and culture. I really believe mm. that it really matters in, in our world and, and that people's access to it at school, from school onwards, really matters. And I think that it's so denigrated in our society mm. at the moment. So as I say, I went to see Grenfell last night and I had just done The Jungle in New York, which is about the, the Calais refugee camp. Yeah. And I was talking to some of the actors last night and they'd had the same experience as I had during rehearsals at, at one point or other going, why are we doing this? This mm. is so, you know, when you're doing a play about something about people's lives, yeah. actual lives and experiences, and you go, what are we doing? What, why are we doing a play? Yeah. You know, this is just feels so, like, weak. Mm. And we were talking about that, and I said, it's really, really interesting because we've all had the experience of being changed by a piece of theatre or a piece of art. We've all had that experience of going mm. and being, and not necessarily because of the subject matter, but because of the way it made you feel, the way it made you see a... a a different situation differently whatever you know it doesn't have to be something like particularly social or political but but we've all been changed by it at, at one point or another and yet we still and it's the same as me sort of denigrating my own experience as a woman you you, you denigrate yourself as an actor and go yeah oh what is it we're doing what what's the what's the point of this this just feels like such wank to yeah. be doing this instead of actually going and working in a refugee camp you know yeah. or actually you know doing something and it's like, mm. and, and I think it's that, that actually the belief that it does change things yeah. and that it can change things and that, that people's lives are constantly enhanced and made more beautiful, rich, vibrant, vital because of, of, of this industry and, and all the other artistic sort mm. of cultural industries. That, that is something that absolutely fires me up yeah. not and i think it's very easy in this industry to become um to to look at yourself from outside yeah. and see where you are on the ladder who's ahead of you all that status stuff that mm. we touched on and actually just making stuff and just yeah. doing it is like 
a wonderful and what a privilege to mm. spend your life doing that and being paid to do it if you're lucky now yeah. and again. Yeah. It's like it's like to even know what you want to do with your life is such yeah. an absolute glorious thing. And to and even you know, you hear so many actors say that when their kids want to go into it saying like, over oh, my dead body, it's such yeah. you know and you're just like, Really, has your life been that bad? Because mm. actually, even at the worst times, you're surrounded by brilliant people yeah. who are full yeah. of ideas and hearts yeah. and who want to connect and engage and and that's priceless, you know. There's mm. there's no secure job in this world. There's no yeah. there's no way you can ensure that you have a happy, settled, secure life. So you might as well spend your insecure, unsettled, sometimes you know, <laughs> amb- ambivalent life yeah. around great people. Mm. You yeah. know, doing something mm. that you sometimes at least love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about you, Andrew? I, I mean, I agree with Julie. It's a, it's a privilege to actually, you know, wake up and to be doing something that you love doing and to be paid for it as well, hopefully most of the time. But but as well, I think just personally, I became an actor, I think because it was the only thing I thought I might be vaguely good at when I was at school. <laughs> they'd say, what do you want to be, Jarvis, when you grow up? And I'd say, well, I think I'd like to be an actor. And they'd, the teacher would go, mm, yeah, no, what I'm saying is, seriously, what do you mm. want to do? But that was the only thing I found I did where I didn't get shouted at. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure if I was good enough, but I knew I wanted it. Mm. And I think it goes back to my sort of insecurity about being better at playing somebody else than myself or something, something weird that I'm not going to go into. <laughs> but I'm very lucky that it is something that I have loved doing, like Julie's just mm. described, and with wonderful people. And I just get the most almighty fulfillment yeah out of it yeah yeah that's a really lovely way to end thank you both so much for coming in and sharing everything julie and andrew thank you very much thank Thank you. you thank you for listening to the abf podcast if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode you can find helpful links in the show notes if you would like to become a member of the abf support us or require support you can find everything you need on our website details of which are also in the show notes. Until next time, goodbye.